Coming up on Tech News Today, GeoHots settles with Sony, but Anonymous doesn't. Also, a way to scan zebras. Yeah, you heard me right. And the Navy is blowing up nice little boats with lasers. All that and more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Monday, April 11th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail and about a business day for your free 30-day trial. Go to netflix.com slash twit. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Maya Zaktar. And I'm Jason Howell. And this is the show we kick around the tech news of the day. Joining us to make some sense of it today is Editor-in-Chief of Engadget, Mr. Tim Stevens. Welcome back to the show, Tim. Hello, thank you. Yeah, and we can actually see you this time. Yes, it's good to be seen. Yeah, it's it's good, definitely is good to be seen, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a little uh, we had a little video issue last time because you were scrambled from a hotel room, but uh, you're you're safely at home, right? Right, I'm home in my bright orange office, so I am comfortably online this time. Excellent. Uh, well, good to hear. And let's uh, let's start off with George Hotz quietly settling with Sony back on March 31st. Uh, in a surprise move uh, that, that was announced today on the uh, Sony blog, uh, Sony said that they have settled with GeoHots uh, where he will not uh, admit any fault, uh, but he agrees in principle uh, not to publish any more code, although he hasn't published it. He took the code down a long time ago. Uh, and and uh, Hots' jurisdictional issues uh, are still in the air, but uh, that, that should probably be settled next, right? Yeah, I mean, we don't know the details yet. They're obviously not going to be publishing this for any reason. This isn't a, a court proceeding. This is just a private agreement between Sony and, and HOTS. So uh, there's a good chance they actually settled this as a part of their settlement. Yeah, because well, it was a little weird the way Sony just put it out on their on their blog today. Uh, you didn't see anything from GeoHots about it. He's likely under some sort of gag order or something. Yeah, he does have a quote saying he didn't try to do any harm or anything like that. Uh, and I think Sony also said that they don't fault HOTS with this whole anonymous situation that's going on. Yeah, they made a point of bringing it up in the press release that they posted, which I thought was odd. Also, uh, why wait this long after March 31st to uh, to make it public? That's a good question. Is there a, is there, is there, are there are there legal machinations that would have to happen before they they get their ducks in a row? Or they could probably be working on. They worked on the settlement. They probably had to figure out the wording on the press release. I oh, bet that's that, that's it. Eleven days right there. The time. <laughs> and it's tax time, so they probably you know, the legal department's kind of busy. A lot of people are busy right now. Maybe Geo Hots was still away on his spring break, and he was like, "Can this wait until I get back?" <laughs> yeah. Dude, he didn't flee the country, totally remember? Maybe too. He yeah. was just having a good time. He was just hungover. I mean, all, you know, joking aside, George Hotz must be uh, pretty relieved that Sony isn't, uh, out, you know. I mean, Sony has kind of said, okay, let's, let's come to some sort of agreement. I mean, they've gotten a lot of bad press out of this with certain members of the community. Um, and uh, he kind of gets to say, okay, yes, I, I uh, agree to... Um, your terms, but I don't actually have to be some sort of a terrible uh, rule breaker in the eyes of Sony. Especially considering the fact that he's been like prodding them with a hot stick, you know, for like months, just like poking at them, mm -hmm. stirring the beast, and for him to just kind of 
get off at this point and be free of the charges. I, like. That's yeah, there's been, there's been a lot of cross-prodding. I mean, yeah. these these two have been going That's at true. it pretty hard, which is why it was a surprise to see that it, they they settled out of court qu very quietly 11 days ago. And one of the problems with this being a private settlement, again, is we have no like legal precedent for this whole jailbreaking of a PS3. Now that's completely out of the court system. Something has to happen again for uh, this to actually be on the books. Tim, do you, do you think that this is, is going to uh, continue on, though? Is Sony going to sue other people? Are they going to go after other jailbreakers? Because folks aren't going to stop trying to figure out how to get around these restrictions. Yeah, it's hard to know what's going to happen next. I mean, obviously the cat is well out of the bag. I, I think this was the right move for Sony to do right now to kind of try to end the bad PR that's been happening. But there's no way that they're going to relax on this issue of jailbreaking the PS3 and hacking games. That's definitely something that Sony's going to keep pursuing. And obviously they're going to have to take that to court. So the question is, you know, who's going to be the next one to step up and challenge Sony? Um, that we don't know, but I think if anything, Sony has learned that they can get bitten, even if they are perhaps legally in the right, uh, they can still lose in the public eye, and they certainly did here, I'd say. Yeah, I think that was that was a big concern for them in, in getting this out of court, uh, because their their lawyers were off the leash uh, going after Geohots, and it was not it was not a good PR situation uh, at all. Intel has, uh, if you don't realize it, not really been competing well in the mobile space on tablets, uh, on smartphones. The Atom processor is not the big winner, uh, so they've been working hard to, to get back into that game. Intel said today it's shipping a new processor called the Atom Z670. It's a 45 nanometer processor, also uh, known as Oak Trail, if you've heard it referred to that way. 35 tablet designs announced uh, from companies including Fujitsu, Lenovo, Evolve 3, Motion Computing, Razer, and Viliv. Uh, so, you know, Fujitsu and Lenovo. I've heard of Razer. Uh, I've, I've heard of motion computing. I haven't heard of these others. I haven't heard of Evolve 3 or Viliv. Tim, do you know much about these others and, and what kind of products we'd expect from them? Yeah, Viliv actually has been making tablet devices for a long time. Typically, they've been running Windows XP and they've been kind of like uh, keyboardless netbooks. Uh, so it's definitely a natural fit for, for Viliv here. I'm not surprised to see them jumping on board here. One of the bigger problems with Intel's processors and why they haven't made a lot of mobile ground is because they are power hungry. They are seriously powerful, but battery technology just isn't there. The Atom's supposed to be a lower a lower powered uh, machine, uh, but it seems really odd because ARM has a lot of uh, headway already because it's a licensable, licensable design. Samsung can make it, Apple can make it, anybody can make one, and even Microsoft is you know making Windows 8 for ARM. So I'm not really sure how well the strategy is going to work, even with these partners. Well, the Z670 uh, will support. 1080p video decoding, faster browsing, uh, HDMI support, and like you said, longer battery life, uh, as well as some home theater sound easiness. The, the problem with longer battery life is, well, how much longer? Yeah, exactly. Longer and than it is now or longer, iPad levels? Longer than the last uh, version of the Atom processor. Yeah, I mean, you can't really find, I mean, I'd, I'd like at least some sort of a, yeah, 10 hours type of a thing, and then I'd be impressed. And I, as I think to address what you're talking about, where it's it's perceived that they're behind, right? Uh, I mean, Oak Trail can be used by Android, Mego, or Windows. Uh, so it's, it's got the ability to, to run any of the competing operating systems, uh, except for iOS, of course. Uh, Intel will also give a sneak peek at Cedar Trail at the Intel Developers Forum in Beijing Tuesday and Wednesday. So they're, they're not letting up. They're bringing out the new one and then immediately saying, hey, but look at what we've got in the pipeline. Uh, the, the next version, the Cedar Trail, is going to support Blu-ray 2.0. It's going to have even better power performance for even longer battery life. You know, they're, they're trying to grab people's attention. Tim, do you think Fujitsu and Lenovo is enough to, to give them the momentum they need? 
No, it's definitely not. Uh, the ability to run Windows versus Android on the same chipset is definitely going to be a big seller for uh, people who are making more general purpose tablet devices. But your higher end tablets, your boutique devices, uh, they're definitely being designed around an operating system and around a chipset. Uh, so the higher end things like the, the iPad, for example, I mean, the, there's no way that Apple cares whether or not they can run their tablet on multiple operating systems. It's just not a selling point for them. So at this point, I think, I mean, this, this is obviously a good step for Intel. They have to do something to try to keep their um, complete market share being chipped away by ARM. But I think it's a little bit too little too late at this point. Especially by 2012, we'll see Windows for ARM. Uh, Windows 8 will yeah. run on ARM. And, of course, it remains to be seen what we'll be seeing for Windows tablet devices. We're still, you know, waiting to hear from Microsoft what their tablet direction is going to be. But we're certainly expecting that there'll be some tablet aspect of Windows 8. And, again, with ARM support there, that's kind of a lock for ARM being the big processor for not only cell phones, but also for tablet devices going forward. Adobe also has a product announcement today, uh, Creative Suite 5.5. This is an incremental announcement for, for all of the, of the uh, programs in Creative Suite. So apps that are now at 5.5 include InDesign, Dreamweaver, Flash, Premiere Pro, uh, AE, Audition, and Media Encoder. Uh, they expect to do 0.5 updates every year. Uh, so, so they'll be able to, to, to rev these a little faster than they have in the past. And the, and the more interesting thing here is they've introduced subscription pricing. So if you can't afford the thousands of dollars to get Design Premier Suite uh, or the, CI, you know, the complete CS 5.5 Master Collection, which is like $2,600, uh, you can subscribe uh, for $35 a month uh, and you get Photoshop. Uh, you know, uh, you can for ninety five dollars a month get Design Premium Suite, uh, and for one hundred twenty nine dollars a month get CS five point five. Now you do have to do a year commitment, right? So the prices are a little higher if you were just going to go one month rather than twelve. Yeah, but this still may. I mean, it's kind of. At first, when I read this, I thought well, this is a sort of a weird departure, but it makes a lot of sense for people who just. I mean, who's got twenty six hundred dollars for the CS five point five Master Collection? Some people do. But not not as many did, Especially as, you folks, know, yeah. in the high times of, of pre-recession. Yeah, people aren't high anymore. <laughs> we're, low, we're low on funds. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, folks coming out of college, uh, they, they want access to these programs. And to say, well, you can either, you know, get them through piracy or not get them at all is the wrong thing to do. So Adobe's trying to at least give a, a reasonable way for folks to be able to acquire them. And it's rent to own. Money spent on subscriptions can go towards a full purchase at the end of the year. It's a much more palatable price. I mean, you don't want to think about this like when you get your cell phone. You're like, oh, it's only a couple of bucks a month. You're like, that's not so bad. But, you know, at the end of the year, you spend a lot of money. Uh, I think, what is this, Photoshop should be something like 400 and something bucks per year if you're using it that way. I mean, when you look at that price tag, I know I've looked at CS5, you know, gawking at it, but that price just stops me from buying it. Mm -hmm. and, and this thing doesn't look so bad. 35 bucks a month for uh, Photoshop, like real Photoshop. It's not bad at all. Especially in a, in, in a time where you have um, tablet apps that uh, promise, obviously not Photoshop levels of manipulation of photos and the like, but stuff where you can kind of get around it and, and there's a lot of competition. Uh, Adobe products are top of the line, as anybody who uses them would probably agree. It's just that so many folks haven't been able to, to get their hands on them because it's so uh, cost prohibitive. iPad apps also uh, announced today as part of uh, Photoshop Touch SDK that allows you to use the iPad as an input device for Photoshop. So other devs can make new apps uh, that run on an iPad and allow you to control Photoshop, 
drag files from the iPad into Photoshop. Uh, they had some crazy example of, you know, you're on the beach and you love the colors in the ocean. So you use your iPad, too, to take a picture of those colors and then you import them directly into Photoshop from your iPad. If only the iPad. camera was better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that seems a little unlikely to me, I think. A bit of a stretch in the use case. But it's an interesting idea. I mean, I don't think people are going to be replacing their Wacom tablets for their iPads, but... Uh, uh, Anything to make uh, Photoshop a little easier to use, a little bit more consumer friendly, it's a good thing. But then again, I mean, for those tablets that you know you want to use for Photoshop, they only have this kind of very limited functionality versus using an iPad, which has so much more functionality outside of being a PlayStation, uh, not PlayStation, sorry, Photoshop. I keep doing the PS thing in my head. Uh, <laughs> a Photoshop uh, ex extensible item. That's why I'm thinking that maybe you know Wacom should actually be a little bit shaking about this. Maybe they are going to have their own app just to compete with this because uh, Adobe also opened this up for other developers so they can make their own apps. Somebody who has an iPad and was thinking about getting a Wacom tablet and then is like, ah, the budget crunch, you know, I don't, right. I don't know if I can afford that, could now see this as an interim step to get them by until they, they had enough money for that. Yeah, because the iPad is just, it can do so much more than a regular, you know, little tablet. So you can spend your $500 on an iPad and then your $35 a month on Photoshop and then you're broke. There you go. But you're going to be stuck finger painting, though. Remember that. The resolution is obviously not going to be there that you'd expect from a Wacom tablet. But you didn't pirate. Yeah. Very true. You've got peace of mind. Exactly. You know That's you're priceless. right. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Sarah, do you like Hot Tub Time Machine? The I movie? haven't seen it. Well, you can. You can see it right now. Really? Yes. How would I do that? By uh, using our sponsor, Netflix.com. Oh, right. See what I did there? Yeah. Just kind of brought it awesome. all together. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Netflix, of course, provides uh, online streaming videos of movies and television shows that you can watch not only on your computer, but, but stream directly to your television. If you've got an Xbox 360, a PS3, a Wii, there's lots of televisions that have Netflix apps built into them. Uh, you can watch them right on your TV. You can also get DVDs by mail in about a business day. Watch as many movies as you want, any time you want. Uh, never any late fees or due dates. And they have a lot of good movies to choose from. Uh, Hot Tub Time Machine is, is just one of them. They've got Toy Story 3 on there, The Terminator, uh, Hunt for Red October, Ken Burns Baseball. That's one <coughs> where you don't want to, you know, if you, if you have your Netflix playing with you know, two or three DVDs, that's like eight DVDs. Okay. You don't want to have to sit there and waiting for the next one to come. Before you move it along, you can just stream it online. Watch the whole thing. You can watch hours and hours and hours. And then the Civil War began. And you can also learn what the Ken Burns effect is if you use online. Yes, exactly. That's true. You can see it in action. Uh, so check it out. You can, you can start, do a free trial. Uh, be sure to sign up at netflix.com slash twit if you want to get a free trial. Uh, see if you like it and sign up. Thank them for their support of Tech News Today. Now it's time to talk about blowing things up with lasers. Sweet. And the U.S. Navy. Uh, the U.S. Navy uh, off the coast of California... Uh, has tested a Northrop Grumman 15-kilowatt uh, laser beam aimed at an inflatable motorboat a mile away as both ships move through the seas. Now, they've done uh, tests of, of laser destruction on land, but the, the difficulty has always been how they were able to use this in the sea where things are going up and down, left and right. you got two moving targets. Uh, they were able to make the 15-kilowatt beam train on and destroy the engine's on the the poor little inflatable motorboat. And I guess they had to use a motorboat because it had to be moving. Yeah. Because you think like, well, that seems like sort of a waste of a motor. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of a nice boat. I mean, did they really need to sink that? It's got two nice Mercury outboards there, and uh, and down it goes to David Jones' locker. 
if you're going to test it, you got to test it on something that could be out to sea, I would imagine. It does seem like a waste of money, but... It lasering a sailboat maybe doesn't have the same impact. Just taking on like a crew team. <laughs> you're like, hey, why are you attacking that sailboat? They're just sailing. <laughs> but that sailboat had sexy ladies on it. Now, so if we're off the coast of Somalia, right, and you're thinking about uh, lasering down um, a ship that's up to no good... What if that ship then points its mirrors back that at That is you? the naval term for it, lasering down. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think if, in all honesty, I don't really know, but I think if you re reflect I assume they've thought a laser this. with a mirror, that it's going to decohere, and it's not going to be the intensity needed. So it's a shield of sorts, but and it's you not going to laser yourself. You're not also, laser you need yourself. Some re what they've done with the maritime laser demonstrator is a, a really significant uh, problem uh, they've overcome a significant problem of being able to keep the laser trained on the target right. in these moving situations. Holding up your pocket mirror certainly isn't going to do that. I guess you could invent some kind of crazy mirror. Well, I mean, if you have some lens system to fire it back. But, I mean, apparently this is not good enough for Rear Admiral Nevin Carr. His quote is, this is an important data point, but I still want the megawatt death ray. Because apparently this, this isn't uh, blow up <laughs> stuff fast enough. It takes a little bit of time. Uh, I don't really know what he's expecting, like Star Wars style effects, giant explosions, but uh, it slowly sets something on fire. Well, and they are working on uh, larger megawatt uh, beams as well. This is just the beginning. The, the goal is to get at least 100 kilowatts of power into these and be able to burn incoming missiles out of the sky. That just sounds crazy. Carr, Admiral Carr also said, I spent my life at sea, and I never thought we'd see this kind of progress this quickly. I don't know if he really talks he, like he that. He also talks like Mr. Krabs, apparently, but, yeah. from Spongebob. Um, but, yeah, they say they'll, they, they hope to be able to mount these on, on ships as standard equipment within a decade. Well, let's hope that the right people have access to the lasers and the wrong people never get them. Five and that years. the wrong people don't have silver paint for their boats either. That too. Yes. Reflective paint. All the Somali pirates have reflective paint now. <laughs> uh, Apple is going to dominate the tablet space, says the Gartner Group. Uh, they have released a projection that's five years out. Bold. Bold project projection. Well, it's, it's four Very years bold. out. Uh, 2015. Uh, they say that Apple will not lose its dominance by 2015. It will continue to have at least 47% uh, of the marketplace. They think it'll be 60% through the end of 2012. Uh, 47% in 2015. Android will eat most of its lunch. Uh, Mego will not. Uh, WebOS will not. Although they, they give uh, the BlackBerry Playbook QNX operating system uh, some, some nice numbers. They have it going 5.6% this year and then up to 10% by 2015. I want to know where Windows 8 factors into all of this because there is no mention of it at all. I assume it's in the other operating systems category, which doesn't account for much. No, which is to like Gartner. infinitesimal according to this. Do well, we really think right. that... The that's definitely a big question mark right now, and that's one of the reasons that we have to be a little bit, uh, you know, skeptical of these numbers because uh, just like what happened with the iPad, something big could come out of nowhere and, uh, and totally revolutionize the tablet industry. Uh, I mean, right now, based on what we have now, what we know now, these numbers make a lot of sense, and it, it is interesting to see QNX jumping up like that. But if, if Microsoft comes out this fall with, you know, a great release of Windows 8 for a tablet and it looks fantastic, there's every reason to expect that, that that's going to take off and, and be huge. And obviously, there's there's nothing in here to to um, count for that at all. So who knows? These numbers are always very speculative. I mean, if you look at at the chart here, it's very very specific numbers, um, but you know, it, it's ultimately a, a bit of a guess.
And the title of this chart is Worldwide Sales of Media Tablets to End Users by OS. So maybe Windows 8 doesn't even factor into that because it's not a media tablet necessarily. I mean, a media tablet operating system, that's a full-fledged operating system, isn't it? I mean, maybe Windows Phone 7 or whatever variant becomes of that for its tablet uh, orientation, I guess. Maybe that's in the other operating system. I'm still shocked that Mego is on this list at all. Like, why is that not just, like, rolled into other operating systems? Because it has a monster, I think, what is this, 0.6% of the market right now, all the way up to 1% by 2015. Like, this is, how is that even significant? I think it's also surprising that by 2015, Android would still be behind iOS. I mean, you know how many Android tablets we're going to have in 2015? Yeah, that's why how, how are they not going to have pulled ahead by that? It's dangerous. And to nobody predicted that, that Android would take over the smartphone world like it has. So that's another reason, again, to be a little bit skeptical. This All the charts from five years ago that we saw didn't have Android at all factoring into the mobile smartphone e ecosphere. So um, is it going to happen here? Uh, yeah, I think Android is going to be a bigger player than this. But the question is the timing. How long can Apple maintain the lead that it has now? Yeah. And years ago, when we were looking at the studies earlier today, that Symbian was supposed to be the dominant yeah, PDA right. operating system. It's like yeah. a PDA operating system. Right, because they didn't track <laughs> smartphones <laughs> yeah. five years so, ago. So uh, take these numbers with a grain of salt. Big one. Yeah. Mmm, tasty grains of salt. Mm. Uh, thank you, James Laird, uh, who was frustrated when his girlfriend's Airport Express stopped working after she moved and she wasn't able to receive AirPlay streams. So, he being a good hacker, opened up the Airport Express and reverse-engineered the private key that is necessary for Apple's AirPlay to use the Airport Express. Now, if you've never used the AirPlay, it plugs into the wall, and you plug it into your speakers, and then any Apple device, uh, including iTunes, can stream over wireless to the Airport Express. Well, because he was able to go find the private key... Uh, he was able to create any device to do what the Airport Express does and stream any iTunes from anywhere, whether it's an Apple device or not. So now he's published SharePort as an open source Perl created uh, replacement using both that public key, which we already knew, and the private one he uncovered. Uh, and allows AirPlay devices to stream to unlicensed devices, not just Apple ones. If you're geeky enough to, to do this, I would think you're probably geeky enough to also stream stuff around your house using VLC. I mean, I don't know if this is so amazing that it, it can't be done before or you want to send out streams on your network. Uh, it's, it's a cool idea. I'm, I'm glad somebody actually went in there and did this, but I, I see that you can do it like a hundred other ways. Yeah, I mean, Tim and I, we were talking uh, before the show, is not just about the fact that this is going to be used by so many people. It's, it's, it's more in awe that he was able to physically crack open the Airport Express. <laughs> Apparently, he said he hurt himself a little bit, too. Yeah, he, he scars he from cut cracking himself. over the Airport Express. And then Express. he dumped the ROM and was able to uncover the private key. Tim, how, how fast do you think the Apple lawyers will get to him? Oh, boy. Uh, I guess that depends on how much this takes off. I mean, as we were talking about before, this is definitely a big story. But the question is how many, you know, exploits are we going to see that are kind of derivatives uh, of this first crack? I don't really think it's going to take off. Uh, um, I don't think it's something that a lot of people are going to take take the time to do. But this is a very impressive hack, as you said. It does open the door, though, to some copy protection concerns. If we start to see apps popping up that are letting you very easily, you know, rip movies off of your iPad or whatever wirelessly and convert them to an MP4 or something like that, I think at that point we'll start to see Apple's lawyers getting involved. But right now, I'm not so sure that, that we'll see them, you know, jumping out and taking a swing at this one. Yeah, they haven't gone after jailbreakers. 
because right. because they don't feel like jailbreaking is a real threat. Uh, they've only gone to the Library of Congress and, and lobbied against making an exception uh, for jailbreaking, but they haven't gone after the jailbreakers themselves. Unlike Sony, they avoided that whole kind of, of thing. Uh, finally, a couple of new product announcements today around the idea of gamification. This is, this is becoming a hot idea, which is if we make life more like a game, it stimulates the reward center of our brains and it can, can motivate us to do things. So, so a lot of TED Talks talk about gamification as a way to improve the way we live. If we gamify good behavior in society, like, you know, being environmentally responsible or, or looking out for each other and reporting crimes or just basic, you know, basic civic duties, that we can actually improve the way people do things in society. Uh, these companies are, are doing it on a, a lower level and a more commercial level. Big Door uh, has announced that uh, it is going to... Well, CEO Keith Smith calls it the equivalent of Google's AdSense for gamification. An example is, over the weekend at UGO.com, the, the ads gave visitors a chance to interact with the new Universal Pictures movie, Your Highness, the one with uh, Natalie Portman, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Lane was her stunt double, by and, the way, Yeah, if anyone's interested. In the quest, visitors must interact with the advertiser's content in order to earn points. A quest is completed after 11 cl clicks, and then points can be deemed redeemed not only for virtual badges, but you actually get patches sent to you in the mail. So you get a little physical reward for this. The idea is to make people interact with advertisements more because there's a game around them and people are motivated by racking up points and being leaders and being recognized and winning little things. I mean, this is sort of, when I hear this as an example, I'm like, ugh, I do not want to interact with a brand on, uh, you know, some page for the movie Your Highness to get a badge in the mail. But... I think that if it was set up in a way where I would, I, I mean, yeah, if there was like a, maybe 10 trivia questions and I, you know, I get eight or more right and then they send me a, I don't know, a box of chocolates. And then, you know, it's like it all depends on what it is that you like. So I guess uh, these companies need to figure out who their partners are going to be to make the rewards uh, the most attractive to the most amount of people. And for, for some people, just being on a leaderboard is enough. See, I don't really get why that is enough because it doesn't mean, I mean, it's like for Foursquare, for example, Foursquare yeah. did this whole new launch recently where it was like, we're going to put more emphasis on our leaderboard again. And I don't really know what it matters where I am in relation to other people. Uh, see, I can be crazy competitive, but I don't know if that's going to get me to interact with an ad for a movie unless it's like, here's a discount on go to see the movie. Like, here's a ticket that's cheaper, but like a badge. I have to wear a sash around the house. I'm like, hey, look, I, I played Your Highness 12 times. I've wasted two hours of my life with this <laughs> advertising. I don't, I don't really care for but that. But, I mean, personally. again, that's what, like what I was saying. I mean, that's an example of something that you probably would be like, eh, this is a reward I don't really care to have. But someone will. Uh, People obviously there, do. Somebody out there is going to be losing a lot of time clicking a on ads. Apparently, Big Door said, um, as far as engagement, that they said um, their early response rates are revealing that 20 to 45% of people who begin a quest, which is what they're calling these, end up finishing. Yep. That's a really good percentage. I mean, I, as you may be right about yourself, but I think you underestimate how competitive people will be for silly things. Mm -hmm. we talk I think this is a perfect tie-in for an MMO. I mean, we're talking about quests and side quests, and MMOs are charging you, you know, 10 bucks a month or whatever. Why don't we have some sponsored side quests that if you complete them, then they pay your monthly dues? Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I can know, get behind that. Look at, look at Zynga. Look, you know, look at the Farmville. Look at how crazy people are about Farmville. For, for what? 
Yeah, see, that's how crazy people are. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they're crazy for it. They're oh. just, they're crazy for doing it. Well, this is, I mean, Farmville <laughs> is crazier because we're actually giving, well, not necessarily we, but people are actually giving their actual money in return for virtual rewards. Yeah. This is interacting with advertisers in order to get actual rewards. Now, regarding your idea, Tim, of, of getting like MMO rewards, Keep, K-I-I-P, also launched today, which is real rewards for playing games. So instead of advertisements, it, it works into mobile games. And as you're playing mobile games, when you reach a certain level or you get an achievement, you don't just get a badge in the game. You actually get like a coupon for a cheeseburger or mm -hmm. something like that. You could, you could be playing World of Warcraft mobile if they ever do something like that and then get like an actual, I don't know, druid cloak. At Target. Or a bag of Doritos, if that's the partnership. Or maybe a bag of happens Doritos. happens to be. Or a but the problem Duke with all game. these is that it's not World of Warcraft. It's not even any game you've ever heard of before. It's some random Flash game on some random website that uh, chances are you're not all that interested in playing. I mean, there is potential here, obviously, for that kind of thing. But, but right now, they need the games. And, and I haven't seen any titles that are very compelling listed here that are supporting, uh, supporting Keep. <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to get a big-name game because they have some big-name operators. they got Dr. Pepper, Carl's Jr., Sephora, Pop Chips, 1-800-Flowers. So, they, you know, there's there's some popular... I, I, I don't want to call them worthwhile for me, but there's some popular items here that people would probably want to win. This, I mean, yeah, they're obviously in their beginning stages. It'll be interesting to see how gamification grows and plays out. It does tend to feel right now like you're getting maybe free stuff that you didn't really want in the first place, kind of swaggy type of, Here, here's your free Sephora merchandise, Ayaz. Do you want yeah. this? Maybe you don't. Well, I could sell it. I can give it to my wife. I mean, the other thing is, do you have to actually fill out some kind of demographic information when you actually do these things? Do we know that? Yeah, and in fact, what they uh, are hoping, at least Keep, in Keep's case, is that they will assume that maybe you would not want the red lipstick. That's I might want the red lipstick because you're a man. Well, and exactly. How do they know? do? Yeah, they I'm know you just because they you're a man. My, they don't know my weekend <laughs> plans, right? Exactly. Or you might gift to somebody else. So again, yeah, I think that they're. I mean, we're, we're put it on a page. It, it, it's experimental. It's interesting. Some of it seems a little silly, but I. Th I mean, I think there's a business model here. Well, yeah, I mean, they were saying, I think in the video, if you watch these nicely produced videos on Keep, they talk about the ads don't feel like ads, and I guess they don't. You see a little pop and be like, hey, you got a free coupon for something. It doesn't look so bad. It's actually, I mean, gamification could be put to much better uses, but I, I do like the idea that game or that uh, ads become less annoying. We'll see if they actually do. Uh, they may become more annoying if they're always bugging you to go on quests, and you're like, look, I don't have time for that. I, I don't just want, want to ignore the pop you. chips. Yeah. I'm full. Punch the monkey. Let's move on to the news views. <laughs> Ah, the Winklevoss twins. You thought you were done with them, but you're not. Uh, the Winklevoss twins, you know them. They, they sued uh, Mark Zuckerberg over the idea of Facebook. You saw the social network. You know how it begins. Here's how it ends. They must accept the $65 million in a settlement with Facebook, according to the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, that sounds like a seriously comfortable amount of money to me and you, uh, but the twins, they're not thrilled with this since they claim Mark Zuckerberg stole the idea of Facebook from them and the company's valued at something like $40 billion. They wanted a bigger slice of the pie. Oh, Winkle V. Ah, uh, the Winkle V. They love to complain. They love to wink. Yeah. Uh, finally, Windows XP is losing market share. 
Yes, it's happening to Windows 7, according to StatCount. Not time. 7 now has a market share of 30.84%, and XP is down to 32.17%. The trend lines look like Windows 7 will surpass the venerable XP within a month. Somewhere in a dark room, crying in the corner, is, of course, Windows Vista, whose experience has steady decline in users since April 2010 and never really caught its older brother XP at all. And over in the corner laughing at, at, um, at Vista is Windows Me. <laughs> Verizon iPad 2 users are ticked. All over the Apple forums are complaints about iPad 2s having 3G connectivity issues on the Verizon network. Apple has said it's, it is looking into the matter. Boy Genius is reporting that Apple's upcoming iOS 4.3.2 is slated to fix this issue, as well as that FaceTime bug we've been talking about where random pictures are showing up when you use FaceTime. Mmm, random pictures. More Apple news. Uh, rumor has that the iPhone 5 is going to be out in September. For, well, actually, we'll have production starting in September. That would mean it actually wouldn't be out in September. That means mean Apple wouldn't release the phone until later this year, possibly next year. All this is based on a conversation Business Insider reports with a supplier of iPhone components and avian securities. So you are warned about the rumor. If they miss holiday season, that is somewhat of a setback. Yeah, rumors, rumors. Rumors. What are you going to do? Google has acquired Push Life, which is a company that developed music apps for Android and BlackBerry. A lot of sites are speculating that Google will use the technology from Push Life to push your music uh, to your phone. If you're a Push Life user, you're on notice because the current service is going to be discontinued since Push Life is getting integrated into Google Canada. Wasn't that a Prince song, Push Life? No, it's Pop Life. Never mind. That's right, Tom. Pulse. Another, another soldier in the war against Apple's restrictive iPad subscription policy has fallen. Bloomberg Business Week's iPad Apple join up with Apple charging $299 for a four-issue digital description versus $499 at the newsstand. Business Week, Business Week won't add a lot of multimedia frills, a la the daily and pr project. Uh, just good old standard articles and a stripped-down iPad app. And no promises of Android versions either. Bloomberg are a simple folk. Yeah. They just, they just want to give you your old-fashioned iPad app. some news for you. Yeah, uh, simple folk. Yeah. That's right. Things are looking good for the Nintendo 3DS, but not the best ever. IHSI Supply forecasts a global installed base of 11.6 million devices by the end of 2011. Not a small number, to be sure. But competition from the iPod, even, as well as the iPhone and the Android uh, smartphones and tablets will prevent the 3DS from matching the sales of the Nintendo DS. iSupply says the 3DS will never get there. By 2015, they predict 70 million 3DSs installed compared to 91 million DSs at a similar point in time. Some Texas Comptroller staffers were doing a security scan and found something interesting on a public server. The personal records of some 3.5 million Texans in unencrypted files. The files included names, mailing addresses, social security numbers, and possibly dates of birth and driver's license numbers, and had been on the server for about a year. Uh, Texas State Comptroller Susan Combs said there was no indication the information had been misused. It was just there, sitting there. For a year. For a year. Nobody noticed yeah, it. Nobody if nobody notices it, it, then is it, it a big deal? Nobody yeah. got it. Trees fall in forests all yeah, the time. Totally. <laughs> 
Also, uh, the, the, just out of the chat room, somebody pointed out Darren Murph on, on Engadget uh, posting about an ad-supported Kindle shipping May 3rd saves you 25 bucks at Target and Best I was Best just Buys. going to mention that, yeah, 25 bucks off. They're saying right now that the ads will only be on the homepage and the screensaver, so the images that you get when you turn your Kindle off would be replaced by deodorant instead of, you know, great authors, which I suppose is not that intrusive. Uh, oh, okay. But, you know, the door is open uh, going forward to see who, what kind of ads that they're going to get in there. Hopefully they won't have product placements being injected into your great works of literature. But 25 bucks off, that's pretty good. Romeo would like to enjoy Mountain Dew. More Campbell's soup, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Actually, that's not, that's not too bad. Just replacing those author screens with ads doesn't bother me. I was like, 25 bucks? That doesn't be saving a, lot, saving a lot of money for a bunch of intrusive ads. But if they're just on the splash screen... Well, the same device is only $139 right now, so that's actually, you know, a pretty good savings, almost 20%. That's not bad. $114, yeah. All right, all right. Uh, meanwhile, uh, wild zebras are now trackable thanks to their natural barcodes. Is this some terrible hunting story, Tom? Not yet. What do you mean? Well, zebras and their pattern apparently can be read by cameras, and you can actually, well, instead of, you know, hunting them down, tagging them, and having those things on their ears or RFIDs or anything, you can actually track them with a camera based on their pattern. It's like Google goggles for zebras. Stripe spotter uh, is what it's called. So if you were um, keeping track of a certain, I don't know, zebra population in a... In a which area, we do all the time. Which, so, well, some people right. in... Um, Zebra endemic areas of Zebraologists. Africa. Right, exactly. May care about this. But I would assume it's because of the, um, the zebra stripe being very barcode-like. I mean, what about a lion? Yeah, it takes an isolated portion of a photograph of a zebra, slices it into a series of horizontal bands, and then each pixel in the selection is converted into black or white, and the bands are in turn encoded into stripe strings, which eventually make up a stripe code that resembles a barcode. Well, but there's zebras. So you can't. Is this going to be able to be used with any other animal? I hope so, like leopards. Maybe <laughs> do the spots, you know. We can do oh, yeah, tiger could. stripes so we don't have to hunt them down and go, hey, they're endangered. So What about the poor panther? Just, not his fault. He just doesn't want to be seen. These, monochrom <laughs> these monochromatic things are they're, they're things of the past. We won't be tracking those animals. Well, and I was and wondering... at some point, the zebra is going to evolve to a QR code anyway, which means they're going to need all this software. <laughs> right. right. We'll do some genetic engineering. Uh, for sponsored ones. For QR code <laughs> sponsored <laughs> zebras. The zebra brought to you by Pepsi. I just, I'm just, uh, I think it'll be interesting to be able to track zebras through pictures and documentaries and know like, oh, that's that zebra. Like we could, you could actually follow a zebra. There could be a Google search for particular zebras based on How's uh, Fred picture. the zebra doing? You could take a picture of your zebra rug and then go on Google and find out the lifetime of that zebra. You not that, that I have, not that I have a zebra rug. Dear. I don't. Let's hope not. On to the calendar. The HTC Flyer has hit pre-order status in the UK. It's listed at uh, the Carphone Warehouse at 600 pounds, which is roughly 983 American dollars. Uh, as a reminder, it's a 7-inch tablet. comes with 3G and 32 gigabytes of storage. Anonymous plans a boycott of Sony on April 16th. They've got a Facebook event page set up. And about 1,000 people have... They don't RSVP care if GeoHot's settled. They're still mad. Yeah. Taking They're Sony down by boy counting. By going to stores, so sort of weird boycott. Acer's Windows Power version of the Iconia or the W500 is up for pre-order today for five hundred and forty-nine dollars, not five fifty, five forty-nine. Much more affordable. It's quite a deal. The Windows version ships faster than the Honeycomb and is set to head to your door April fifteenth. 
Samsung Galaxy S2 is going to be available May 1st in the UK. Grok Law, which mm, you might remember, started an order to counter misinformation in the SCO attacks on Linux, will stop publishing on May 16th. Well, but there's a silver lining, Tom. Yes. Pamela Jones says uh, the decision, she announced the decision on her blog, she says it's because SCO initiated this crisis over Linux, but it's over and Linux won. Yay, winning! Yay. <laughs> Linux is the new Charlie Sheen. Tiger blood. Uh, Star Trek. Zebra blood. Star Trek fans, you're going to be excited about this because the entire series is coming to Netflix Watch instantly in July. So that's Star Trek, The Next Generation, Voyager, and Enterprise, and Deep Space Nine in October. We were talking about Netflix earlier, so it just makes the Netflix spot even sweeter. And the Steve Jobs authorized biography is due next year and will be called I, Steve, The Book of Jobs. I think this is the most hilarious title. This sounds like it came out of The Onion. It does. But at the same time, what's the better title for the book? I mean, it's, it's, it sounds exactly like something that he did. Steve like. Jobs, A Life of Innovation. Ugh, Steve, he wouldn't want that. Steve Jobs, My Life in a Black Turtleneck. Buttonless. I, Steve. Buttonless. One word. Book of Jaws. It's perfect. I can't wait for the reviews. Magical. <laughs> yes. Boom. Revolution. You're going to love it. In quotes. One more chapter. So says Steve Jobs. Magical. Yes. Tim, if you, if you were to name the Steve Jobs biography, what would you name it? I think it has to be magical. I mean, that is his euphemism of choice, and uh, it actually should be right there, top in big letters, all caps. Capital in white. Uh, cap, all caps, but then a lowercase i. Specialized font, mm. so you can't hold it wrong. So when you turn it upside down, you still can read it. Right. And then <laughs> no buttons. That biography will be obsolete uh, in a year. On to the voicemail. 260-TNT-SHOW is our phone number. And you can call us like Xander did and take us to task if we make a mistake, like Xander does. Hi, this is Xander from California. Great show. I was listening to your show from Friday, and you said that if you had a 3D printer, you could not print out a Lego brick because of copyright issues. Totally not true. Lego has a trademark on the Lego brand. They do not have any kind of protection on the design of the block. Their patents have expired. That is why there is such a thing as mega blocks. You cannot think of IP as some kind of amorphous blob covering all of these items. Trademark, patents, copyright, all totally different. When you think of them as the same, people start getting scared of doing completely legal and reasonable things like printing their own Legos. Thanks for the show. Bye. This is the difference between uh, patents and copyrights and trademarks is patents expire. And then people can actually innovate. And that's the deal. Them. You're supposed to file them and then it's available for the public so you can see it and everything. And 20 years later, anybody can do it. That's what a lot of drug companies do. They're like, hey, look, we have our patents. Then they just tweak it a little and have a new patent on something else. But I was a big fan of this, of this voicemail because... Uh, a lot of people get somewhat worked up about the whole IP thing, and they just don't know the difference of these things. They yeah. should, people usually confuse trademark and copyright mm -hmm. a lot, uh, but all, but and there here we are guilty of uh, confusing patent and copyright. So thanks, Xander. We can print Legos. We can. Good times. With impunity, and all sell day them. long. Yeah, and I will. On to the emails. TNT at twit.tv. Rodrigo writes in and says uh, he is from Puebla, Mexico. Uh, welcome to the show. I was listening to your show where Sarah gave the news about the government holding onto your laptop for more than an ideally long time. Uh, he's talking about the border crossing where they can search your laptop without cause. They don't even have to have a reason. Uh, he said people should put their data and oh, and then Sarah said people should put their data in the cloud. Well, I think, says Rodrigo, she described a perfect use for Google OS laptops. You'll be giving government an empty case 
and you won't lose any information. I bet they won't even bother taking those kind of laptops, or maybe they could continue being intrusive and also ask for your Google ID and password. And then you just say, I forget. Oh, I can I just, never remember. Oh, it. I just I should Is it start one, using two, three, one four, password. Six? Or one, two, three, four, seven. I just can't remember. Yeah. Well, they won't detain you for that or anything. You know, they'll just hold you there until it works. Well, I love the idea where it's like, I have one of those laptops where everything's in the cloud borders, border uh, security. You know, Sorry. And they, they actually can compel you to get to unlock uh, passwords on laptops if you have encrypted uh, volumes, which is why TrueCrypt allows you to make a hidden volume. So that when they ask you to decrypt it, you can put in a fake password and it decrypts a hidden volume that has no data on it. And so they're not actually able to see your data. What I wonder is if they would be able to force you to give them a password for your cloud account. That seems to be going beyond the purview of a border search because now you're no longer searching the item you're bringing into the country. You're searching... An internet site. I suggest a whole workaround, to work around this whole problem. Just take your laptop before you go on vacation, mail it, and pick it up when it's there. Because, I mean, this I don't even want to think about this when I'm going through airport security. Yeah, but if you, I'm, I'm serious, though. If you have Chrome OS, uh, well, I know, but can you, could they compel you to, to give, give over an online password for data that's not stored locally on that laptop? I would imagine. Well, the data is cached locally, so unfortunately, I think you're yeah, a that little bit out of luck there. Yeah. Because they'd be able to, to look at what data. But if it wasn't, yeah. let, let's say that the only data local was, was the browser. I'm, curi I'm curious about that. I, mean, I joke about saying, oh, I forgot my password. But it's a lot harder to get someone to give up their password to a bunch of information stored in the cloud than them saying, okay, you don't want to play nicely. We're going to take your laptop over here, and you're just going to have to wait. It's right. like, I mean, you could be staring each other down all day. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. They can legally compel you. You have yeah. to look it up and see what happens. All right. Uh, one more uh, email before we Next head Next email from Alexander Jasmine says, In the last episode, a voicemail from Zach expressed the implications that may result from the use of a deduplication scheme in the Amazon cloud, specifically how deduplication of music files amounts as serving the same files multiple times and how that would make any storage limitation artificial. It occurred to me that if Amazon sells watermarked MP3 files, these files would probably not get deduplicated automatically, but that just shows how difficult it is to apply real-world constraints to digital and cloud-based media. That's interesting. Now, what if they were able to dedupe because they know what the watermark is and they just ignore that part of the file? That would mean they have a specialized SAN, right, to do that at all? Because otherwise, I guess a stock... They just have a specialized algorithm in the SAN. I guess they could do that. Yeah. But you were suggesting that they could re-watermark this as you download yeah, it. Yeah, well, they could, they could actually scan these things as they upload them and say, oh, okay, that's, uh, that's the Beatles in your life, uh, and, and so we're not, we're not going to actually upload it. We're just going to mark that you have that. And then when you re-download it, we'll re-watermark it. So if anyone from Amazon wants to tell us what you're doing, we'd like to know. I'm sure the RAAA wants to know, too. <laughs> All right, that's it for this edition of Tech News Today. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening, however you consumed it. Uh, Tim Stevens, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, let folks know what's going on over there at Engadget. Well, we just broke that uh, sponsored Kindle piece, and we've got some uh, great reviews coming up on Wednesday, which I can't talk about, but look forward to them. Oh, great. What are they? <laughs> nice try. Uh, Almost worked. <laughs> so, so Wednesday, we'll, we'll keep an eye on those for Wednesday. Thanks again for Great. being on the show. Engadget.com, uh, where you can find all the stuff Tim and his folks do. Thanks to everybody for watching us. Twit.tv slash TNT is where you can find us on the web. Give us a call, 260-TNT-SHOW, or send us an email. TNT at twit.tv is our email address. We will see you tomorrow.